0: Almighty God, we just stand in awe of you. We thank you for your perfections and uh, your attributes. Uh, we confess that you are the omnipotent God. Uh, there is nothing beyond your power, beyond your ability. Uh, we are thankful for your strong arm. We are thankful that you are there to uphold us, that you are there to, to guide us, uh, that you are there to... Um, direct our lives and the world around us, Lord. And although we do live in the midst of so much uh, that is hard, so much suffering and so much in this world that is, is not right according to your moral will, Lord God, uh, we are thankful that we can know and trust that you have a plan through this all and that you will work in and through uh, even suffering, and even the hard times, and you will redeem uh, these situations and use them for your glory, which is also our good, for those of us that treasure in you and find your glory as our good. Help us to do that, and help us to trust you and to believe your word. In Christ's name, we pray these things. Amen. Charles Spurgeon wrote, that's, a, that's how you get Nick's attention. That's He just started by saying Charles Spurgeon. So <laughs> Charles Spurgeon wrote, great quote, I believe that every particle of dust that dances in the sunbeam does not move an atom more or less than God wishes, that every particle of spray that dashes against the steamboat has its orbit as well as the sun in the heavens, that the chaff from the hand of the winnower is steered as the stars in their courses and that the creeping of an aphid over a rosebud is as much fixed as the march of the devastating pestilence and the fall of the seri leaves from the poplar is as fully ordained as the tumbling of an avalanche. He who believes in God must believe this truth. So Spurgeon, uh, the great preacher, definitely had a high view of God's sovereignty. And this is what I believe we believe that Scripture does teach. We want to wrap our minds around this and also think of it in the the correct way and to try and uh, put this together with other things that the Bible teaches as well. So as we've been going through this series, uh, we've been trying to uh, give you some building blocks of statements. Because I think if we think of these in the right order— and uh, we have one that adds on to another. Uh, it, it helps us to make sense of each of these. So we started with what I think is the most important. Before we even get into the idea of God being sovereign and human responsibility, for us to remember that God's glorification is the ultimate purpose for everything. That it, it just is. That God created us for his glory The world does not revolve around us. It revolves around God. It ought to. And for God to be glorified is the best thing because it is appropriate for God. And it is also the best thing for us because he is the greatest treasure. And the more that we and other people see how great he is, we are going to find our joy in him. And as we do that, we get the, the good, we get the joy that is from that. And that gives him the glory. It's the the most beautiful, perfect uh, system there is. And if it wasn't for sin, uh, gumming up the works of that, uh, we would just have nothing but but glorifying God and us receiving the joy forever. And that's how it was before the the fall. That's how we believe it will be in eternity. But right now, that system has gone haywire because we don't see God the way we ought to. We don't trust him the way that we ought to. We don't give him the glory that we ought to. We find our joy in idols and other things. But that's why we as worshipers of the triune God, uh, we we come here and we try to reset our minds to, to worship God for who he is. So again, this is foundational because if you start thinking about suffering, you start thinking about the problems in life. I've read a lot of books on this issue and I was just even listening to a, a podcast with some people talking about this this week. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And at the core you have to say, what are you starting with with your with your what's your first presupposition? And for many, it seems like they think this world is about us. It's about eliminating anything that's unpleasant to us. And instead, if we recognize that God's glory is the ultimate purpose, then even if there is ordained suffering, like we saw this morning, even if uh Jesus tells his apostles they're going to be persecuted, they're going to suffer. If, they, if you honestly believe it is worth it for his name's sake, then we are willing to go through this with a much different attitude. So that's the first thing. That is just the, the bedrock of all of this. The next two things we're looking at, and this is where we're at today, is number two, the Bible teaches that God is completely sovereign over all things. So this this issue of divine sovereignty God is in control, the way that uh, Spurgeon described it. Uh, we don't mean just even the way that, like a, a king is sovereign over his land, uh, because he may have, uh, in one sense, you know, power over his land, but he can't really control. But we're saying God is able to orchestrate everything. Uh, just the, every snowflake that falls is going to fall according to the way that He or has preordained that it falls. Every little detail. You can't say it's just the big picture, because so much of life is determined by, by the small things as well that make a huge difference. And we're going to see some of that. But at the same time, we also want to acknowledge, and next message that, that I do, we're going to be getting into this human responsibility. So at the same time, parallel to this, is that the Bible teaches that human beings are responsible for their choices. That we make decisions that they come from our hearts. And because of that, if because it's what we genuinely want to do, we are held accountable for that. And we ought to be. I mean, if it's a decision that you actually wanted to make, then yeah, you should be held accountable uh, for, for that choice. And our decisions really are. Sometimes we have to weigh... Uh, between one and another, and there's consequences when we think it's not really free. Um, but even in the morning, you know, when you have, you have a choice to get up and go to work, uh, you could say, well, no, I have to get to work. Well, you could decide not to, and you just take the consequences of that. Uh, so you can't always be in, tro- in control of the consequences, but you do have the the decision to do one thing or another. And because it comes from you, we're responsible for it. So we're going to try and put this together in a way, hopefully try to avoid some of the the errors. We'll get into that, that some people, when they look at this, uh, they come into some big errors where they either deny God being sovereign or they deny human responsibility. And, I mean, if you have some idea that you're just kind of being controlled, remote control like an RC car, that's that's not what we're saying either. And I'm going to give you, when we get to it, some ways to, I, I think that are helpful to make sense of this. But we have to go through some of these building blocks first. So in the first part of this message on number two, uh, we did talk about um, a few, uh, some different verses to make sense of this, uh, such as Ephesians 1, one. We also have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. I mean, that is a, a verse that really gets at the root of what we're saying. Some bullet points here to clarify. We're saying that God has foreordained everything that comes to pass. That down to the smallest detail, absolutely everything is part of God's ultimate plan. Now, I'm not just saying that because there was a Spurgeon quote or because philosophically I think this, we are deriving this from Scripture. And that it needs to be our source for what we believe about uh, God. So last time we started looking at some of these uh, verses, we looked at verses that teach that God has unlimited power. Because what if it were the case that God wants to uh, orchestrate the world to run in a certain way, but he just can't do it. And we, we're not going to go through all these verses again, and this is just a sampling of these that say that that God does what he wants to do. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He is omnipotent. He has unlimited power. And if you think about it, you can only have one being in the world that is really, you know, omnipotent. You can't have, uh, some science fiction shows may talk about uh, there's this omnipotent being and another one. Well, which one is it? Because uh, if they got into a conflict, the one that wins might be omnipotent, but the one that loses isn't. So God is, he, all power is at his disposal. And you know As we look through some of these verses, um, I mentioned this podcast I listened to. It had this debate uh, between these two theologians. And they were arguing about, you know, the suffering in the world and how to reconcile this with, with God's goodness. And one person had the position that, yeah, there's bad things that happen to you. There's bad things in this world and we don't want to blame God for these things. And so the way that this guy explained it, uh, he said that God, in order to, um, he's in this cosmic battle with Satan and his forces. And in order to, uh, to prove that he is a good God and a loving God, the only way he could do this is he had to limit himself. And so basically he had to kind of, uh, you know, tie his arms behind his back and uh, voluntarily give up his omnipotence. And his ability to, to orchestrate all things. And so, yeah, there's bad things that happen. And it's not because God has some specific plan for how he's going to use those things. It's just because God has decided uh, that he is going to you know, let, let the world run however it needs to run. And that's how he's going to show his, his love. And that was one view. The other person said basically the same thing, except that he said this isn't something that God voluntarily does. He said that God just, he just doesn't have the power and the ability to, to orchestrate these things. He just isn't in control. He doesn't, he, we shouldn't even say he's omnipotent. That God may decide to try to, to woo the world and to you know, uh, gently persuade you know, people to make the right decision. I'm not sure how he thinks you know, God is even doing this but he doesn't even think God has the ability to do this. I'm thinking both of these are, this is my blood pressures going up as I'm thinking, th- trying to listen to this. And like, wow, just, and at one point, one of, one of them said, and I think later on I'll play the clip for you. He said that he believes, the guy that said that God can't even, uh, doesn't even have the power to do this, to, to orchestrate things. Uh, he said, that, that's going to be more helpful for people pastorally. He said, think of people that are victims, people that have, you know, gone through suffering. You know, isn't it more loving and helpful for them to, to not tell them that, you know, God has a plan for what they've gone through, but just tell them that, that, that God loves them, but he just couldn't do anything about it. And that's going to make them feel so much better. Does it, does, would that make you feel better? Like, wow, that's terrible. And just completely unbiblical, uh, they both had very low, in my estimation, low views of scripture too. God has unlimited power. We looked at these verses. God has control over, over nature. You know, things that used to be called acts of God, you know, everything from lightning to uh, storms to you know, where the diseases break out, uh, so much of this that this is, uh, God is able to superintend all of these things. And yep, there are weather patterns. We get that. We know there's physical things. But somehow, still God is over all of this. Whether it's sunshine or whether it's uh, the, the, the lightning storms. So that was our second point last time. The last one, God has control over the nations. The Most High rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom, whom he will. We think of these you know, kings and emperors as being the ones that are Uh, They're the most sovereign. They're the most free. They can do what they want. They are in control. But Scripture says they are even under the hand of God, that God will direct uh, them. He puts in place who he uh, wants in place for his purposes, sometimes to bless a nation, sometimes to judge a nation. This does not take away from our responsibility, especially in a democracy that we have, I mean, if we end up with bad leaders, for us, it's it's because we put them there. So be engaged in the process, be praying for elections, uh, but ultimately recognize that, that God is behind all of this and using it for his purposes. All right, so now we move on to uh, three more items that we're going to talk about today. And, you know, if these seem like a big deal, uh, that we're making the case that God is... Uh, A strong case about God being sovereign over all things, uh, these next three are going to amp it up even further. So again, just giving you kind of an avalanche of of Scripture, and this is only the tip of the iceberg, but I want to convince you that this is a huge theme in Scripture, that God is sovereign. And I'll tell you, I, I think this is what you are going to draw comfort from. Not saying that God's You know, let this world run out of control and don't blame him, but he couldn't do anything. You know, instead, we realize that if there are things that happen, God has his purposes through these things. All right, so the next one God has control over people. I'm going to show you some verses that talk about this. Even things that we would describe as free will decisions of people decisions that are coming genuinely from the hearts of uh, human beings, that in some mysterious way that God is still able to to superintend these things, that God is still able to orchestrate these things, that uh, there is a sense that that even our hearts are not uh, running away apart from the ordained will of God. Some verses to look at proverbs nineteen twenty one, many are the plans in the mind of man but it is the purpose of the lord that will stand i mean we make our plans we have our agendas we have the things that we want to do and i know there's some people that are more you know you get up and you just let's make up the, each day as it goes along and uh, fly by the seat of your pants, and others of you, you know, have a uh, five-year plan and a, a five-month plan and a five-minute plan and a 50-year plan, and you got this all worked out and how you're going to get there. Um, but you know what? It is ultimately the purpose of the Lord that is going to stand. It is uh, what he decides that is is going to happen. Uh, obviously not a biblical quote, but Uh, John Lennon once said, life is what happens to us while we're making other plans. And I think there's so much truth to that. We have things that we think we're going to do, but God comes along and says, you know what? I have a different different path for you. We are not in control of uh, the course that our life takes. But what if you're the king? What if you're the emperor? You know, maybe that's true for just the, the peons and the the small people. But if you're like the emperor, right, then you get to decide. Well, Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. like how the um, older NIV used to say it. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. So even in a way that it's not taking away from uh, where if, whether it's a king or an emperor or, or a president, they still make their decisions. They're still held responsible for them. But there's a way that even behind that, God is orchestrating all these things uh, even in and through. It's, it's a mysterious thing exactly how this works out. Um, but that's what this verse is saying. Let me... It, it, Some of the other uh, passages we'll look at later, too, are going to tie into this as well. Remember, basically what I'm saying is is you don't have to pick between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. It's it's a both and. uh, Even though it seems like a contradiction, in God's mind, it is not. Here's one. Exodus 34, 24. And... I think I first encountered this in a, a book by Jerry Bridges. He has some uh, g- great material on this on the subject. But he mentioned this verse: "For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders, and no one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year." Okay, how does that tie in? we were in Exodus, uh, God was uh, telling the people of Israel they were going to move in, they were going to conquer the land of Canaan, and they had these uh, different um, p- these feasts that they had, and there was three of them where all the men were supposed to travel to Jerusalem uh, for these feasts. You may think, well, that's, that's great, but what happens to our land? That would be the perfect time for raiders to come in, uh, to you know, steal all their stuff and uh, run away with their property or animals or those that are left behind, you know, if, if all, the, all the men are in Jerusalem. And God gave them a promise here, saying, and this is something, you, it would seem absolutely unbelievable if God wasn't saying it, but it would still take faith for them to believe this, that they could leave their land, they could come worship, and God would somehow just make it so that these other nations— you know looking at their their fields, looking at their storehouses, and all this would just yeah i don't really want to do it i don't want to i don't want to attack it i don't want to go raid and pillage just I decide not to that somehow God was able to uh, superintend or intervene in their heart or somehow cause it so that these nations would just simply not covet their land during this time, and you'd say, well." Doesn't that take away from, from their free will and they would have the free will to attack or not attack? Well, somehow this is saying that God is able to make it so that they would not want to go and, and raid their land. So God has the ability. He has the ability to have this control over people. And this is part of the biblical information that we have to, we have to think through as we're trying to put these things together. All right, so you have this, but what about, there's a lot of just random things that happen in the world. You know, we talk about, um, you know, flipping coins, that's just random. Or just rolling some dice, or, uh, you know, just, so many things we view as just absolutely random. Well, the next up, God has control over chance things. And you see here I put chance in parentheses, Because to us, there are things that are chance, but is it really chance to God? I mean, think about this. Could God roll dice and not know how it was going to end up? I mean, if he was going to do it. Well, if you knew all the physics that were involved. I mean, to us, it seems random because, you know, we throw it and we can't really control, is it going to land on a six or a five? But if you knew all the factors, if you knew how you're holding it, Uh, you knew, you know, which number was facing what direction, you knew the airflow, you knew the uh, gravitational forces and every little, you know, particle of dust that was going to hit it, and you knew exactly how you were going to throw it, you theoretically could know exactly how it's going to land. I mean, there's, you know, big picture things that we know that we can, uh, you know, direct when we throw a ball. You can try and get it somewhere, but, you know, we don't Sometimes have the you know the muscle control to get it exactly how we want, or the wind may take it. But God would know all these things. So there's certain things where God just um, you know He would know just down to the minutia uh, exactly how these things would work out, and not just for us, uh, not not just for Him doing this, but even when we do these things, that to us it looks like chance, but to to God it really it isn't. Let me give you. Two great verses that talk about this. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. There were times when they would make decisions by casting lots. And sometimes we think, well, that's kind of a bad way to make decisions. It it was kind of the equivalent of, you know, throwing dice or picking, you know, the short straw or something like that. Uh, I think there were certain times when it made sense, when there were two fairly equal options then sometimes casting, you know, lots was a great great way to uh, pick something without it, you know, causing hurt feelings. Um, you know, if you had like two candidates and one is the obvious and the other isn't, then I think you know just casting lots would be a way of uh, not showing your responsibility in the decision making process. But you have something like the disciples. You know, they're trying to pick the new apostle to replace Judas, and you, they had two men that both fit the requirements. Okay, we're going to cast lots and uh, leave it to God to decide who it should be. Now, is that just random? Is it up to just, you know, chance? No, this is saying that, that God is behind this. That even things that appear to be random to us are really not random things. Another great passage. You know, in Matthew ten twenty nine. Jesus said, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And now one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And this is such a comforting passage. Think of all the things that could go wrong with us. I mean, how easy it is to have an accident on the way home. How easy it would be for, you know, just a blood clot in your body to get in the wrong place at the wrong time and and, and there you go. And to us and to the people in this world, hey, it's all just accidents, it's all just random. But this is saying that you have sparrows, which are virtually worthless. That um, for this super small amount of money, you can buy two of them. They're not, they're 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 cheap, but not one of them is going to die apart from the will of God. <clears throat> and the logic here isn't primarily about birds. It's saying if that's true for for birds and all these just millions of birds that are out there and some that no human eye will ever see, and if their flight patterns and everything about them and when they are born and when they die, if that is according to the will of God, how much more is that going to be true of human beings created in his image? How much more is that going to be true of of you and I? You know, the things in your life, The things that you think, why did this happen to me? What is this like? Or what's going to happen to my future? It's not going to happen unless God, in his fatherly will, somehow knowing what is best and believing is best, allows it and chooses it and ordains it to happen. It's a beautiful, beautiful promise. So God has control even over these things that we would consider chance. Like Spurgeon said in that quote, "Just just every little particle of dust, and how it falls, uh, each of these uh, little things. Because small things, I mean, really can make a huge difference as well. I mean, you think there's, you know, small things that aren't going to matter, but, you know, if, if you're driving, you, you think an eyelash is not a big deal until it gets in your eye as you're driving down the road. You know, that can be a life-altering, uh, tiny little bit of matter, you know, or a little sand or a little piece of, of dust. R.C. Sproul has a great quote. He says, um, "If there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled." And some have said, "Oh, that seems really that seems extreme. I mean, why couldn't there be some molecule that uh, is out there that is just doing its own thing?" Well, first I'd have to ask, how is this molecule doing its own thing? Who's deciding what this molecule is doing if it's not God? Who who created it? Who set it into motion? Um, But everything interacts with everything else, at least a little bit. And there's an old saying that goes, uh, for the lack of a nail, this is talking about uh, horseshoes and horses, for the lack of a nail, the shoe was lost. For the lack of a shoe, the horse was lost. For the lack of a horse, the rider was lost. For the lack of a rider, the battle was lost. And for the lack of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. The small things that could change, like, just the trajectory of everything else. The the first message in the series, I talked about how I met hope, you know, because somebody released a mouse into the... uh, (coughs) uh, the auditorium at Moody Bible Institute during during a movie event, and this mouse made its way on stage, and I, I found it and uh, picked it up, and uh, Hope said to me, "Can I see your mouse?" And that's how we met. What a what a random ridiculous thing! But I think it blows my mind to think of all the different things that could have been different. You know, somebody just you know crosses their leg, and so the mouse you know goes this way instead of going that way, and we never meet, and our children are never born. Um, it's <laughs> they exist because a mouse was in the right place at the right time. I think ordained by God to be there, and it just amazes me. I think only God could work all of these things together. When I was doing my um, doctoral dissertation on the providence of God, I came up with this uh, this quote by Alexander uh, Carson in his book The History of Providence. I, I love this and I included it um, in the, the dedication page, uh, 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 dedicating it to uh, my wife and kids. But he has this quote. It says, Husbands and wives may be born for each other as much as Eve was formed for Adam, while their marriage depends on the most trifling accident. That, from our perspective, and I bet some of you have your stories too, You know, just how these crazy things that happened and led to you meeting each other, that led to you, uh, you know, getting married uh, just because somebody had it in their mind to uh, invite someone over or you met at just the right time and all these things that, from our perspective, just seem like accidents. And nope, in God's mind, this this is foreordained. This is part of his great plan, this great orchestral plan of, of life that he's bringing together. So I believe I firmly believe God has control even over the things that we would call chance. Um, and there really are no, no chance things. And finally, this is one that can be hard for people, but God has control over, well, let's say evil. And we could include in this disasters, suffering, judgment. This morning we talked about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. God was sovereign over that, even all the evil that happened. And yep, it was caused directly by the Romans. They came and they did this, and they're responsible for it. But it was also part of this big story that that God was putting together. together. So it does include also not just natural evil, tornadoes and earthquakes and uh, viruses, but even, there's a sense of the moral evil of people, in a way. But you have to think about it in the right way. So a few things to consider with this. We won't read all of this, but just remember Genesis 3. Part of the reason, well, ultimately, the reason that we have uh, so much dysfunction and evil and disaster in this world is because we broke this world that when we uh, rebelled against God, and I know you weren't there, but your representative was there. Uh, his name was Adam. And when he, acting on our behalf, rebelled against God, hey, humanity, we broke this world. We knocked it off kilter. And because of this, uh, the, we live in a cursed world. And that is why there is disease. That's why there is dysfunction. That's why there's death. It's why we have to deal with these things. The world is not the way it originally was when God created it good. Something has happened to it. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. He shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. You are going to die. And in the midst of this, there's all this pain, all this dysfunction that happens. Um, I might have told you this once when uh, we were in the hospital when Hope was uh, pregnant with Eric she was uh, in the old uh, Butterworth hospital and they had her walking loops to kind of speed things you know, along get it going and she was in quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of pain and at one point um, I, I just said to her you know this is because of the curse and uh, then she slugged me and that's, <laughs> there's times for theology and there's uh, times when it's uh, not appreciated quite as much but if there's the truth. We live in a, a sin-cursed uh, world. There's some other verses in Scripture, and some of these people don't like, and I'll have, I'll have to warn you. Some of these, you're going to say, I wish this verse wasn't in Scripture. I don't like this verse, but I think we need to deal with this, and I think we, it's gonna, these are going to help us to realize that, okay, God is all-powerful even over these things. Lamentations 3 37:38 Who has spoken and it come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it is it not from the mouth of the most high that good and bad come Lamentations was written by Jeremiah after the uh, destruction by the Babylonians of of Jerusalem and just the again we talked this morning about you know, the, uh, it was destroyed by, by Titus in AD 70, uh, but you know, five 600 years before that, um, it was destroyed, just awful, awful, terrible. And this is saying that these things cannot happen if it's not foreordained by God. Uh, that the mouth of the Most High, that both good and bad come. Okay, now what does this mean, good and bad? There are other translations. Um, the NIV says calamities, okay, disasters. The NASB, uh, good and ill. The New King James, uh, woe. The King James says evil. From the mouth of the Most High God, that both good and evil come. And if you're saying, well, what is what is the Hebrew word? Do you can this help us get out of it? It's the word ra, which is basically the word for, it means all those things, calamities, woe, evil. So it's a heavy thing to keep in account. Now we're going to say some things in a little bit because the way that God orchestrates and is behind evil is different than the way that he is behind good. Okay, it's not the same. Okay, we're going to come back to that in a second. But we need to let the gravity of these verses kind of hit us. Because otherwise we think, well, he's behind the good things, but there's this other stuff. That, that's off doing its own thing. God's fighting it, uh, but he's, it, it's out of God's control. Isaiah 45, 7. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And here the ESV translates the word as, as uh, calamity. It's the same word, it's the same word ra that's translated as bad or ill or woe or even evil in Lamentations. One place in Scripture that is very helpful for us as we think through this is at the end of the book of Genesis. The story of, of uh, Joseph and how he 's mistreated we can 't go to all this, so I encourage you if you need to you know go back and look up that story um, and he 's accused of things he he didn 't do he's sent to prison he's you know uh, his brothers you know throw him in a pit, make him look like he 's been killed they sell him into slavery he ends up in egypt you know he 's accused of uh, coming after Potiphar 's wife and sent to prison and all these different things, but through it all, and after all these years of suffering he gets into a place of prominence and they're able to store up grain and he's able to save his family when they come down uh, so they don't starve to death. And towards the end of this, um, there's a part where Joseph says to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. So on one hand, this is Genesis 45, 4 and 5, they did it, they sold him here, but in another sense, God sent him there for the purpose of preserving life. And then a great verse. This is one to, to write down, this is one to memorize. Um, Genesis 50:20, again with Joseph and with his brothers. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And here's the point that I want to make. There are these verses that that talk about that God is someone He's in control and even foreordains even the bad things, even the things that are evil. But one thing we have to recognize is that God is not behind those things in the same way that he is behind good. God is behind good directly. The bad things that happen, other people do those things. Okay, so it's indirect. But even more important is that although the people that are doing them, they intended it for bad purposes, that God is ordaining it to happen for, his, for good purposes. So whether it's Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery, they intended for bad. But it's saying here that God made this part of, part of his story, part of the plan, part of what was happening. And God intended it not for evil purposes, but for good purposes. When there's judgment upon a nation, when there's bad things that come into our lives, God does not plan those things to accomplish evil for evil purposes even if those things by themselves are bad or sometimes even evil things God does those for, for good purposes you know, a way to think about that I remember taking um, kids I remember taking Eric in as a little toddler uh, and depending how you describe this I took him to a stranger uh, to um, stab him and make him cry and that's probably how he viewed it, that you're taking me to this stranger who is stabbing me with a uh, a sharp needle and making me cry and why are you doing this to me? And the reason was uh, because I wanted him to have his, his vaccinations so he doesn't get these diseases and things later on. And to him not understanding this, it's like, why would you allow this to happen, Dad? You're my father. You're supposed to protect me. You're supposed to do this. But I'm ordaining this to happen in his life not because I want him to suffer but because I believe that this was going to be what is going to be best for him later on and so even these things in our life that happen this way um, God is intending good in and through it he's going to take these things and he's going to use them for for our good and for his glory and even the greatest evil that ever happened God used for his glory and for our good. I mean, the most horrible thing, the most terrible thing that ever happened is if uh, nothing, something that would happen to us, but the Messiah, the, the only innocent person that ever walked on this earth, him being falsely accused and, and nailed to a cross and, and uh, humiliated and butchered and killed, I mean, if you think of something that is evil, that is evil. And it was ordained by God, planned by Him, and He intended it for the greatest good, for our salvation. Acts 4:27 through28: "For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. That means that the crucifixion of the innocent Son of God, this was predestined, foreordained by God, it was part of his plan, that God was behind it. And yep, we're going to see later on, those that did this, they are held responsible because they intended it in a different way, but God intended it for good, that God is behind even the worst things that are out there. But if he does allow them, if he does ordain them and plan for them, we can trust that he has his purposes. I mean, that's where comfort comes from. Not saying that, well, God loves you. He just couldn't do anything about it, so he's off the hook, so I hope you feel better. That that would give me no comfort. And I think that would give you no comfort. I can't imagine, as your pastor, telling you that. But I will tell you that when the hardships come into your life, when the tough things happen, that it is only allowed to happen because God has a purpose that makes it worth it. That everything, that all things are going to funnel into his glory and they're going to funnel into your good as well. Let's close in prayer. Father God, we thank you. We give you praise. We thank you that we are not at the mercy of chance. We are not at the mercy of things that are outside of your control or even the whims of of dictators or maniacs or uh, random people around us, Lord God. But ultimately, everything that happens is part of this story, this great plan that you have put together, that you are the main character. It is for your glory. We are part of it, Lord God. And we trust, even though it's hard for us to see at times, and we may not see it in this life, that everything will funnel together Uh, for your glory and as we see that we take joy in it lord god and we trust that you will use these things not just in this life but in the life to come so that you will be magnified and our hearts filled with joy and therefore every sacrifice that we make is worth it lord god because you are worth it lord help us to believe you help us to trust in you lord you are sovereign and you are good all the time in jesus christ's name we pray these things Amen.